Welcome to another episode of Humans and Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 66 with Bloody. Bloody is one of the biggest Magic Arena streamers on the planet right now. And in this interview, you'll hear that there's a lot more going on with her than you may realize. We start off the conversation pretty slow, just talking about her hometown, food, and what she has been up to. And as you follow the conversation, you will find out that there is a lot going on in Bloody's life over the past couple of months, and we fully explore that, as well as her origin story in terms of how she became a Magic Arena streamer and what she was doing before streaming Arena, which may actually surprise you. After listening to this episode, you will get a much fuller sense of who Bloody is as a person and what really got her to where she is today. Before we jump right in, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, ChannelFireball.com. Now, you may know Channel Fireball as the place to buy all of your best magic product and singles, but today I'm going to mix things up and I'm going to talk about something that you may already know about. But just in case you don't know, Channel Fireball has been running amazing events. They've been doing it for a very long time. And recently, you may have heard or you may have seen a collaboration that they have done with Wizards of the Coast. See, Channel Fireball is now running and providing coverage for the Players Tour. Last weekend, there was PT Brussels, PT Nagoya, and Channel Fireball was right in the middle of it, providing excellent coverage with an amazing team and some awesome on-the-floor reporters. And this coming weekend, Channel Fireball will once again be providing coverage for the PT Phoenix event. It's going to be great. It's going to be another amazing jam-packed pioneer event and you can just watch it this weekend on twitch.tv slash magic so definitely go check it out support channel fireball not only for their amazing articles amazing strategy amazing inventory but also because they run really good event coverage so that's channelfireball.com you can find them on the internet shout out to our second sponsor Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live is the company that I'm running with my co-founder, Wilson Hunter, and we provide ways to take your magic stream to the next level. We have been working with Channel Fireball on providing the PT coverage, and we will be providing coverage for the upcoming Worlds on February 14, which is on Valentine's Day and coming up very soon. If you're a streamer, whether you're streaming Magic Online or tabletop tournaments for your local weekly, you definitely have to give us a try. Just reach out to james at cardboard.live with your request and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Cardboard Live, taking coverage to the next level. I also want to give a shout out to Coopla. Coopla provides all of the superb music that you hear on this podcast and you can find all of his music on SoundCloud and Spotify. That's Coopla, K-U-P-L-A. Last but not least, I have to tell you about Humans and Magic as a project. If you are a fan of this podcast, if you've enjoyed what you listen to, please go to humansandmagic.com 
join the mailing list and you can enter into a prize draw to win a copy of my Humans of Magic book. It contains interviews with the best magic personalities on the planet. You can also get a preview of the book if you just join the email list. So definitely go to humansofmagic.com and find out more about the project and what I do. Thank you so much. All right, preamble out of the way. Let's get into our conversation with Bloody. Hello, everyone. Today on Humans and Magic, I am here with the talented magic player and streamer, Bloody. Bloody, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am doing great. And I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me to have this recording because I understand that you're feeling a little bit under the weather, right? Yeah, I feel like I'm constantly in cycles of feeling under the weather. This was because Magic Fest Austin and like really irresponsibly not getting enough sleep. But if that's not what a magic fest is about, then I don't know what is. Yeah. Did you have a party all night and all day at, at Austin or at the GP magic fest? I do live in Austin. And so it was like, everyone was in my hometown. So we were constantly getting food because I'm, I'm a bit of a foodie. So I was kind of showing everyone where to go. I was making sure we all ate enough. I'm, I'm like a mix of a foodie and a Russian grandma. Like I really love and appreciate food, but I also want to make sure that everyone's like stuffed. Uh, but yeah, we, we had a lot of fun nights. One of the nights we were up to like five doing karaoke. It was kind of, it's kind of intense. Are you doing the English karaoke or do you know some Japanese songs or what, what, what is that about? I, I don't know any songs in any other languages besides English. I remember going down to Austin once long, long, long time ago. But if I were to come down to Austin now, like, are there particular restaurants or places you recommend oh of course um for barbecue obviously you know franklin's is like the big one that everyone's really into but you have to wait online it's always like it's always first come first serve and the line's usually two or three hours so i always recommend terry black's as a as a good introduction or visit to austin barbecue they have really really especially if you like ribs and brisket they have really good pork ribs and brisket and obviously the sides are insane also, you know, Tex-Mex, there's, there's, there's a ton of different places to go. I feel like Chewy's is like the most popular, but I have kind of a list of what Mexican food to get, depending on exactly what dish you want. Uh, and then brunch, I think it's, it's not exclusive to Austin, but there's a place called Snooze, which is, it's, it's in a few major cities. It's like a kind of a hip brunch joint, but it's really, really, it's really good. <laughs> That sounds amazing. And for you specifically or personally, what types of food are you most into? So I'm most into Italian food and probably Thai food. I'm kind of super basic when it comes to Thai food and I only get pad Thai every time, but I go somewhere different every time. And so I just kind of stack up like the one dish between everything else. Uh, but for all other food categories, I kind of adventure out. I really like Italian food because I grew up around New York. Uh, and that's just kind of like, I'd say if anyone were to ask you, ask me what my very favorite food is, assuming all the food is done as best as it can, it'd probably just be a chicken parm sandwich. Keeping it simple. That's awesome. 
at the Magic Fest, what kinds of events did you play, and or were you just sort of out and about and hanging around and jamming games, kind of thing? This was the first Magic Fest. Well, granted, it was like the third uh, serious Magic Fest I went to, but I was not. This is the first time I was not there to compete at all. I was just kind of there. Voxy was visiting town. Uh, Desi had driven over from Houston. There were a whole bunch of us just hanging out. So we were playing a lot of mystery booster drafts. That was super fun. I was really nervous. I only started playing Magic a year ago. So I don't know any of the cards. I was like really anxious that I would just sit down and take forever. Which, granted, I did sit down and take forever. But I had a lot more fun than I thought I would. Mystery drafts are so much fun. So we did that most of the time. Uh, I did some. I did an interview with Channel, Fi Channel Fireball. That was super fun. Just seeing all the players and hanging out with all the um, coverage team and everything was a blast. Yeah, I'm sure you have quite a number of fans by now. Just judging by your online presence, did you have a lot of people just come up to you and say hello? Yeah. Um, it's so cool to think about. Uh, whenever I go to Magic Fest, there's definitely a very non-zero amount of people who walk up to me. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're bloody, blah, blah, blah. And it's so sweet to meet people. I had I had like three or four people in my Twitch chat like, oh, I saw you playing, but I didn't want to bother you. And I was like, no, it was just for funsies. You totally could have come bothered me. Dang it. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing, I was at Grand Prix OKC, and there were a bunch of people who knew I was going to be there. And so like, you know, every every like 30 minutes, someone came up. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's so great to meet you. And, and this one dude... Um, walked up to me and started talking to me and he like introduced himself by name and so you know of course i thought he was walking up to me because i'm a streamer and and you know that's what a lot of other people were doing so i was like oh i'm bloody and he's like oh that's a interesting name i'm like oh you have no idea you're oh you're just you just you're just flirting with me okay just just wanted to <laughs> chat <laughs> he was like being super nice i was like oh he must be a fan of the stream and then he's like what the heck is a bloody i'm like oh okay R real people mm. real people names that's fair yeah 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 do you ever tell people about your real name i mean is that a is that meant to be a mystery or is it just no no my real name is gianna um like if you, if anyone looks closely you can see it in my uh twitter bio it's just my email <laughs> my email is just my first name my last name at gmail.com and it's like if you google me I, th I think it's because I played in the Mythic Championship and also just some like just some competitive magic events. They have my first name, last name there. Uh, like when I when I won that PTQ, they also when they posted all the decks, they had like first name, last name because that's on my DCI instead of like bloody. So it's not it's not really a secret. I just think a lot of people don't know it because obviously, you know, they know me as bloody. Yeah, and that's the very first question I wanted to ask you is, I'm super curious, how did you come up with the name Bloody? What are the origins of this name? Well, it's 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 super lackluster and I guess like the start of my um the start of my high rolling career is uh when I was about 11, I had just started playing World of Warcraft. Uh I finished the free trial to level 20. Uh I was an orc warlock at the time, but then I switched over to alliance. I was a night elf hunter, and my really close friend who got me into World of Warcraft, his username was Bloody Beast. We were both hunters, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to be bloody too. And so I just typed in bloody, and I'm going to assume that whoever had that username had just recently deleted their character, because, you know, like end of Burning Crusade, you know, five years into World of Warcraft existing, I just typed in bloody, and it just 
stuck. Yeah, it shouldn't be that easy to just reserve that name, right? Yeah, and so after that, I was like, well, everything is bloody now um, in the most nonviolent way possible. Uh, but yeah, no, all my usernames are just bloody from then on. So it's kind of like everyone has their little username that they come up with when they're a kid, and mine just happened to stick forever. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. And I know that the irony is that you actually have an aversion to blood, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't like blood. <laughs> It's uh, if anyone talks about injuries and stuff, it freaks me out. I don't like I like I get blood drawn once in a while, so I just don't look. Uh, uh, it freaks me out. It it's not like it comes up often, but when people figure that out, they make fun of me. You know, when I first heard your name, I thought you might be super into horror movies or I don't know, like certain types of trends or scenes. But it, it that's I had no idea. It came from World of Warcraft. No, I know? get I get scared really easily. I'm a very nonviolent human. Uh, I'm just like the opposite of aggressive. Uh, like I'm assertive in a lot of ways, but I don't like aggression. I don't like violence. Uh, uh, and scary games just scare the crap out of me. Like I usually do that as a sub goal once in a while because everyone loves to watch me freak the heck out. Just, just freak out live while you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, last time I did it on Halloween, I did a horror game stream. And I made the gifted sub notification like a scream. I cried so much. What games did you play for that for that uh, Halloween event? The first time I did a horror game stream, I played I played the first Amnesia, and it just destroyed me. I was like, the anticipation was worse than anything else. In that there was like a there's a good clip where a piece of paper flutters in the wind, and I scream and jump out of my chair. <laughs> my senses were heightened. Okay, um, but I played Soma uh for halloween and granted most people will say it's not the scariest game it freaked me out for sure but it had like a very compelling storyline and i think that that was why it was recommended to me so it wasn't the biggest jump scare thing but it was definitely along the lines of like this is really scary bloody super scared but also hey look interesting story yeah i don't know if you ever played the really old school games the resident evil series at all no, I haven't. The only old school horror games that I played is like Slenderman when that was a trend. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit behind the times when it comes to video games. It just seems like like a lot of us, just like a lot of people who are probably listening right now, the only game I'm really into now is Magic. And it's sort of like I've just dropped everything else, you know? <laughs> yeah, I tend to. Um, I'm not I'm, I'm like a, I'm a big one game gal. So like I will be on one game forever. So I was on World of Warcraft forever. I was on like Hearthstone forever. Um, once in a while I'd play like a Call of Duty or something because I really liked shooters. Uh, and I played Overwatch for a few years too. But I've been playing Magic and I just have like, it's not that I don't have time for other games. I just have so little desire to play anything else. That's really interesting. Is it a matter of focus? Like, do you get really deep into a certain game and you just feel like you have to master it and really understand all the parts of it? Or is it something else? I think it's a lot more an emotional connection. I think once I link up with a game, I really, really enjoy it. And I and, and yes, it's definitely uh, in association with mastery. Like, I want to get better. Uh, but I also just want to keep playing. Like, I... I grow really really accustomed to the game and i and and it just becomes like a an addiction i guess for lack of a better term so on a scale of one to ten what would you say magic is right now in terms of your all-time addicted to games i'd say like an eight 
uh, like a seven or an eight. So like definitely very significant, but nothing can beat World of Warcraft in how addicted I was. And have you revisited World of Warcraft recently? Um, I did for the most recent expansion. I played like, I, I had a full-time job at the time when that happened. And I somehow managed to keep working my full-time job and play 60 hours a week. Uh, so that, that was a amazing. lot. Uh, and after, after about four weeks, I was like, okay, this ain't sustainable. I had a fun time. I'm going to stop. I'll, I'll probably rejoin when the next set hits just to play for a few weeks, see how it is. I'm very lore-driven in World of Warcraft now. I th- I've been so invested. I've read all the books. And so for me, playing is a bit of a nostalgia trip, but a bit of like, I, want, I, would, rather, I would rather experience the lore than just read the lore. Oh, I see. It's the lore and the storyline. Like, how many books have there been written for World of Warcraft? 20-something? I have them all in a box. I haven't unpacked them. Not too many. Um, but yeah, 20-something novels, and then I've read, like, all of the everything there is on Wikipedia. Like, I know way more World of Warcraft history than I do human history. By far. What about the the history of the Planeswalkers? Have you read some of the magic books at all, or the lore for that? I found that I'm not a big reader, and I will at some point... But my my brain really prefers other f- other mediums of media. Yeah, like video, right? You had mentioned or streams, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm much better with like if I put on a lore video in the background and I do something. That's that that's more my speed. So I've done I've done a little bit of brushing up, but I I you know I I haven't looked hard enough. But I wish there were as many easy to find like lore deep dives in magic as there were in wow because that's what got me into it is like a lot of youtubers would just have hour-long videos where they talk about like the the whole sequence of things i'd love to hear about a bunch of different planes and just get educated yeah i'm not sure if you've seen the ristic studies videos on youtube um is that the one that detailed black lotus that's right. Yes. Uh, it's made by a content creator named Sam and he's super detailed, like high concept videos about, about magic. It's, uh, some of it is really well done, but it just takes them a long time to do a video. But, but the ones I've seen are really good. Yeah. I remember I watched the Black Lotus one and the Menace, which was the Siege Rhino one, but I should actually, no, that's a good point. I should listen to more of those. Yeah. He's, he's really, really on top of his game, but I wanted to just also ask you, Bloody, the first time we met, or the only time we met, was a few months ago, and I know it was back in September, but that was quite a while back. It was at TwitchCon, and I really just wanted to catch up with you and just kind of understand, you know, since September or since a couple months ago, what have you been up to? Like, how, how is everything going with you, and what, what are you, um, how are things in general? Good, really good, really productive, um, especially emotionally. I'd say... October was a really great month for me stream-wise. I streamed a lot. I got a lot of viewers. Uh, you know, a lot of I was I was front-paged on Twitch. That was super fun. And then November was a bit of a low point for me. Uh, it was a bit of a dip. I was uh, unknowingly in a in in a bit of an abusive emotional relationship, which is unfortunate. And I think I was just suffering quite a bit because of my lack of understanding of love languages, actually, and just like thinking that people didn't care about me. Um, but that was more like people in my life didn't care for me in the way that I cared for other people. So it took a, it, t- it took, it took a long time of feeling pretty down in the dumps to realize that, you know, people do care. Everybody has their own way of showing it. And while that on paper made sense to me at the time, I just didn't process it. Uh, so November was, was, was 
a pretty big bummer, pretty anxious, pretty depressed, but it was productive nonetheless because I was able to sift through all these feelings and kind of put everything in its place and figure out why I was feeling down and how to feel better, et cetera, et cetera. I think I was pretty down on my executive function skills. I was like not delivering on sub goals and um, not really putting the work in that I would like to. I was just kind of like freezing up and staring at my phone for a long time. So um, while, while it's not the most like glamorous thing, I still look back on that as a positive because I can look back on it and acknowledge that this is a thing that's happened. Obviously it wasn't great at the time, but it's all just steps in becoming a, or like consistently becoming a better human and more productive and happier human. So December was, um, December was the start of a month that I was trying to be really productive in. And then I got laryngitis and I lost my voice entirely. And I got very, very sick, and I couldn't stream, I couldn't do anything. Luckily, the following weekend from when I got that was uh, GP OKC, so I was at least able to go play in a tournament, uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't stream. I was just coughing so much. Uh, so I played there, uh, and, I have a, and, and the cool stuff about that was I slept four hours, I drove six hours to Oklahoma City, I played in the PTQ, I top-aided, and then I lost, I was exhausted. <laughs> but I got two buys, and that was my first top eight of a PTQ. It was like my fourth PTQ I ever played in. Um, and so I got two buys for the main event. I slept nine hours. I got a beautiful breakfast. I sat down. I scrubbed out three and three. <laughs> and then <laughs> the next day, I slept only two hours. I woke up to see that my car had been broken into. Luckily, nothing had been broken. It was just like jimmied open. Um, and they took some stuff, really not too much, more like like a drawstring bag and an iPhone charger. It wasn't really anything significant. But two hours of sleep, car got burgled, got to the venue late, ended up going undefeated in Swiss, and then ended up going undefeated in the top eight to win the whole PTQ. So that was fun. And that was definitely a highlight of the month. So it was like November was very kind of it, it's almost like working out at a gym where you have to break down yourself to build yourself back up like break down your muscles but my emotional muscles uh so i learned a lot in november december was a lot of um learning how to sift through feelings of not being productive and not feeling like you can do anything but try to do things in the way that you can and then January kicked off really, really big. I got a pretty big surgery and then I also moved apartments. So now I'm living alone. That I had a pretty toxic roommate situation. So I'm finally clear of that. Um, I'm finally healed up from surgery. I'm healed up from being sick a million one times, kind of, I'm almost better. Uh, I had a great time at the Magic Fest and Theros is so much fun. I think paired with everything, I wasn't the biggest fan of the meta, especially because I had put in so many hours grinding Oko, uh, and then it, it, it had burnt me out on just L-Train themes in general. Uh, mainly like Yun's Sacrifice I was not a huge fan of, so I think everything kind of flowed in a pretty natural order, uh, and I made sure to pick up uh, kind of like a takeaways from every corner of my issues, and, 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 the, and the upsides too. So since we've spoken, it's been a very uh, emotionally intensive few months, but I feel a lot better. I feel really happy, and I think I've grown a lot too, and I think that's super important just as all of us being humans. It's, it feels nice to know that you've grown from experiences. 
that's amazing and that's great. I'm so happy for you. I mean, when you were going through that stuff in November and December, I, hopefully you had some friends or a good support network to sort of help you through that. Because I know you mentioned that some of the relationships you were in were toxic, but hopefully you had some good friends who could help you navigate it and yeah. kind of see things for what they are. So I actually said in the moment, it was obviously shitty that I had been going through especially, you know, the, the roommate scenario that that was like so bad. It it was like getting very intense and very bad, but at least such a, such a crappy scenario helped me see just how many people care for me and are happy to help out with just emotional support or help me plan on how to, you know, get out of there. Uh, and it, it was, it was really nice seeing people who care for me just like rise up to the task and console me because I was definitely not super stable and not super okay. So the silver lining of the downsides is seeing how many people were there to help me get back to the upsides. Yeah, it's so true. I think sometimes you need to experience a lot of, I'm just saying people in general, we all need to sort of experience hardships so we can appreciate and learn from the good times and the bad times. So I'm just really happy to to hear that you're in a better place emotionally, mentally, physically like you don't have laryngitis anymore obviously so that's awesome yeah it was laryngitis into bronchitis i had to go to the uh i had to go to urgent care because i couldn't stop coughing (laughs) it was awful oh my gosh but yeah no i don't know i really i very frequently look at emotions in a very similar way because i used to be a personal trainer little known fact uh i i kind of look at our emotions in in a metaphorical sense kind of like i look at our muscles or again it's just like you the only way to get stronger is to work out and when you're working out you're very technically tearing down your muscles and so the only way for us to learn and mature and widen our scopes and perspectives is is to sometimes have them shattered down a little bit so you can you know once those walls get a little broken down you can see further out around you and you can learn more and just kind of widen your emotional palette so while hardship is obviously difficult and taxing i think it's vital and it would kind of be it it would be silly to just wish for a life without conflict i wanted to ask you bloody just sort of starting from maybe let's start from the beginning so can you tell me a bit about where you're from originally your your parents if you have any siblings just just go back as far as you want to take us just Tell me a little bit about, you know, how everything got started for you. Yeah, um, well, I grew up in Freehold, New Jersey, just kind of central Jersey, uh, nice little suburbs, very green, grassy. I grew up in the woods. Uh, I have one sister, and she's been my best friend. She's like my favorite human on the planet, hands down by far to this day. So I'm glad that we get along. My parents and I, we never... Well, we we never quite got along, unfortunately. Uh, you know, they I am trans, and they're very straight edge. Like they 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 immigrated from communist Russia in the seventies, and so they're very straight edge. Like they don't they they're they're racist, they're homophobic, they're transphobic. It's it's very crappy, and so um, a lot of life was maneuvering. I I think the reason why I feel why it seems like I'm so weathered and experienced in, in emotional conflict and turmoil at, you know, my age, cause I'm still a child. I'm still a little kid. Um, is because I had to deal with a bit of a lifetime of like 
I knew I was trans from the moment that I knew what genders were pretty much like by the time I was three or four. And so I didn't actually know what the word was until I was like 11. That was when I was allowed to use the internet for the first time. Uh, so growing up was very interesting. It was like, obviously I had my, my, my normal childhood of going to school, you know, playing games, being with friends, but it was always laced with that sort of, it, it, it was like I was going through everything that everyone else was going, but sort of black and white uh, instead of in color. And so... What, was your household religious? Like, was, no, were there certain no, it wasn't religious. It's just ignorance out of, out of sheer ignorance, not from any particular values. I see. It's wild, right? <laughs> That's what people always ask. And it's like, man, it would make more sense if they were at least devout or something, but nope. They just... Oh, no, 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 no judgment. I'm just trying to understand this, this situation. Just, just oh, uh, for sure. if you could paint a picture for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, overall, I was... I was really bad at stuff as a kid, uh, and I find that hilarious now, and I love it, because the first thing I learned to get good at was losing. Um, I was bad at losing, too. <laughs> I, was, uh, okay. I was a sore loser. How did, you, how, did you know, how did you know that? Like, What did you participate in? What types of games of winning and losing? So I had, a, I had a few neighbors, and they would always play sports, and they would always play video games, and so pretty much like if I did... If I did bad in school, I'd be mad. Or if I lost a game, uh, like if I lost a video game, I'd be upset. Like I used to play badminton with my mom in the yard, and I would never win. And I would always hate it, um, and I would I would always be the worst in sports. I was horribly uncoordinated as a, as a child. Um, I was, believe it or not, the worst in video games. I sucked. I was really, really bad. I was also really I, I bad. I find that very hard to believe. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> the the harder thing to believe is I was very bad at talking to people. I was super awkward. I didn't know how to communicate. Um, I just was in my own little bubble for the longest time, and and I and I just kind of sucked at everything. Um, but eventually, I think the big turnaround was I became very okay with losing, understanding that every time I lose, I'm learning something, and so it's not an overtly negative experience. While I'm not in first place, I don't have you know that satisfaction of being the best at something. I at least know that I have a lot of room to improve in, and there's a reason why I'm losing. And I think once that stuff kind of clicked for me at like a fairly early age, I started just um, at least, you know, in my extracurricular activities, trying uh, a lot harder to improve. Like once the concept of losing became very normal for me, uh, the concept of improvement was like the first thing to follow. So throughout my teenage years, I got a lot better at sports. Um, as as y'all can probably tell now, I got a lot better at talking to people and at video mm -hmm. games and stuff like that. And so it's funny thinking back uh, to me as a child because I, w I was like just constantly taking L's <laughs> and not really happy <laughs> about it. But I think um, I, I, I and I think I think in a way the like the the biggest L to take is like you know knowing that you're trans when you're a kid and knowing that you can't do anything about it um, with with you know the parents you have. And I think that helped. Uh, that helped me understand smaller scale parts of my world because this, this, this large, 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 like colossal turmoil was ever present. And so it became a lot easier to fragment down these other things and figure out how to, how I want to improve at least the parts that I can control in my life. It must have hardened you somehow, right? To give yourself some type of resolve or determination. W would you say that or is it something else? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I am extremely motivated human 
part to the, well, it's, it's tough. It definitely hardened me a lot. I definitely had to think about things that, you know, regular 12 year olds didn't have to think about that. I knew no one around me was thinking, but it, it really, it put a big shell around me. I think for a big chunk of my life, I had thought myself to be uh, borderline uh, psychopathic because I felt like I didn't relate to people. Uh, it turns out that was, that was, that wasn't like, I, I was able to understand people as time went on and I was able to figure out what people were thinking as like an, an input output kind of thing. I had a very deep understanding of just, uh, interpersonal co- connections and interactions, uh, which would later be explored more in, uh, me, one of my majors being sociology and that was super cool. But I almost thought myself borderline psychopathic because I didn't, really feel in the moment. I felt like I was somewhere else just watching everyone else do their thing. Um, but that, that, that was like an interesting defense mechanism that I had built up throughout my adolescence because I had mistaken my emotional intelligence with just like being smarter than everybody. And so I kind of got this cockiness in my own brain where it's like, well, I understand these things. And so I'm just smarter than these people. And so everyone else is doing their thing and I'm in my own little world. And so it, it may, it made it harder for me to empathize in the moment Uh, That was a very difficult thing for me to learn. Uh, Like, you know, if I made someone feel bad or I got in a bad scenario, I'd think about it later on, not so much so while it was happening. While it was happening, I would just never practice empathy. And so I, that's like, that's kind of a big sign of someone who is psychopathic or has those tendencies. But as I found, as time went on, and definitely, especially as I started transitioning and like being happier, I realized how much more human I was than I thought and how much of it was just a defense mechanism to get through like a really difficult life. I don't blame me for putting those walls up and isolating myself emotionally from the rest of the world. Um, but it was like, it was definitely very, it, it was definitely like not correct. <laughs> I was not better than anybody. No one, no one as a human can be better than anyone and mistaking emotional intelligence for, uh, or just like emotional understanding or articulation for for anything other than what it is was was definitely a big mistake. So I think um, I think a lot of my lifetime has been sifting through uh, different like knots of pride and kind of tearing them down a little. And you know, not that confidence is bad, but undeserved confidence is is scary and and destructive. And so right, uh, there's that sort of uh, there's sort of that fine line between confidence and arrogance and not being able to basically make meaningful friendships or relationships, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, it's, it's not as though I didn't live a life that on the surface looked normal. It's again, I really like to go back to describing it as life was just sort of black and white for my eyes. And I, I knew everyone else saw color. Um, and for me, it was just like, well, this is it, you know, uh, like I'm going to have as much fun as I can. I'm going to do the things that make my life as good as it can be. Um, but it's always going to be behind a filter of, you know, gray. So that was oh, yeah. sadly most of my growing up or most of my life, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But you did mention that your sister is someone that you're very close to. Did you ever have a chance to talk to her about these things uh, in detail? Or maybe, maybe it came later on, but I'm, I'm just wondering oh, yeah. about that. Um, I think she was the first person, well, I, I came out to my mom at first, but she, she played it off as a phase as she did every following year. But my sister was the first person I kind of seriously came out to. I think I was about 12. And by the time I told her, no, I think I, maybe I was 10 or 11. It was whenever I discovered what it was on the internet. Um, 
And then she had already known. She had known for a long time uh, because, you know, I was just like very inexplicably always taking her clothes and stuff like that when I was a little, little kid. And so oh, she had always known. she's your older sister, right? So she's older than you? Yeah, she's older by three years. So she had always been very supportive, although both of us had plenty of growing to do. And like we were, we, we supported each other in the ways that we could. Obviously, when we were kids, there wasn't so much we could do to help each other. But the fact that we were there for each other was really nice. And um, as time went on, and as both of us became adults, we have always kind of been there for each other, especially uh, having to survive, you know, growing up with our parents. I think we were kind of each other's best friend and best resource uh, in just like feeling like something can be okay and something can be normal. Yeah. And what was it like going to school? And, you know, what, what was that experience like for you in elementary or middle school, high school? So elementary school, I was very reserved. I was still very bad at talking to people. Um, and I was really just at the, like at the end of every day, all I was trying to do is get home and play Pokemon. <laughs> I was, I was just, <laughs> that was pretty much what got me through the day. Uh, I really liked math as a kid, uh, specifically algebra was really nice. I'm, I'm, my brain is a real big fan of input outputs. So it's no, it's no, no wonder why I really like that kind of stuff. Um, when I was a smaller kid, I listened to my sister do her math homework with my mom and I just kind of remembered it. And so I would like skip grades of math and that was cool. Uh, but what was funny is that while I was good at that stuff, I think the things that I, I, I played myself off as bad at, but realistically I just didn't put enough energy into them was creative writing. I loved creative writing. It was like, it was and I was really good at it too. And I just never gave myself enough credit and never let that ability like manifest itself. Cause even if you have like a natural talent in something, it, it, it doesn't get honed until you, you know. Sure, you gotta work hard at it, yeah. Um, but so middle school is when I sort of opened up uh, and learned how to talk to people. And believe it or not, I was like a, I was kind of a big troublemaker in middle school and high school. I was like this obnoxious. I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was obnoxious. I was loud. I would make jokes. I would I would do very like exaggerated motions and everybody would laugh and I was like I was kind of the class clown um for pretty much all of high school and middle school. I I, I calmed down a little bit near the end of high school, but uh middle school I was definitely much more obnoxious about it. High school I was like I was just funny because I was funny and it was like less disrespectful still a bit, obviously if you're being loud in a classroom. But I think the common theme of me streaming now is, uh, it, or it's just funny to see back in the day because I was just kind of like, I, I was, I always been somewhat of an entertainer. I just hadn't really realized it, but that was definitely really obvious in how I acted in high school. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like there's maybe a rebellious element to it too. Oh God, I was in the seventh grade. I had lit a lot of fires. <laughs> I was kind of a pyro. Um, oh, I would, man. I would get like a bunch <laughs> of leaves and set them on fire and stuff. And yeah, that was, it was like, it was to the point where my parents are like, are you smoking cigarettes? I'm like, no, I swear. I'm just setting things on fire. That's why I smell just like Just setting smoke. things on fire, mom. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you didn't burn any houses down. I didn't. Well, not the whole house, but parts of the house. <laughs> okay. I was, a, I was a, I had a lot going on. I was a little bit of a, a little bit of a scary child. Did you have any particular people that you were close to, like maybe partners in crime or something like that? Um, 
Oh, gosh. Yeah. One of my best friends growing up, Austin. Uh, we're still good friends now, even though he lives in uh, he lives in Maui. So we don't get to talk too much. But he was definitely one of my one of my partners in crime of just doing dumb stuff. But, you know, the kids in the neighborhood that I grew up with, um, they're pretty much they're for the most part kind of straight edge kids. And so they would keep me out of too much trouble because I would always default to like, oh, let's go play basketball or something and I'll hang out. Uh, so and I'm still friends with all of them now. It's like. Um, I think my, pretty much my only childhood friends or my only friends from childhood that I still have are, you know, the neighborhood kids. Got it. And, uh, where'd you go to school for sociology? Uh, so I went to the college of New Jersey. I went for an, I went for interactive multimedia at first because, you know, I'd always been a fan of making little videos here and there and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. My parents were always very insistent on go out and do what makes money. Uh, you can be happy if you have money. It was like a very kind of toxic way of thinking. Um, and so I had always wanted to be a teacher actually. And the dumbest thing, my mom cried when I told her that, like, what a silly thing to cry about. Like, it's not like mom, I've been doing drugs. It's like, mom, I want to be an educator. And oh, she you cried. mean she cried tears of sadness or disappointment? Yeah, it was. And she just had such a warped perspective of what is good and what is bad. So She's like, oh, what a nightmare. My, my child won't have a good life. And it's like, what are you anyway? Um, Walk me through that. So you wanted to be a teacher. And then how, how did that how Well, did they that didn't go? let me. I mean, obviously, we know. Oh, they didn't let you. Yeah, okay. they, they didn't let me. Um, so I ended up doing interactive multimedia because I was like, well, shoot. Um, I could always just pick an interest and then teach within the line of that interest. Like, I don't need that degree. So it was kind of like low key. I would try to um, take classes and whatnot and slowly do the thing that I wanted to do. But I was like, I was considering marketing because I was good at talking, I guess. And, and, and I, I figured that I would have some sort of a knack for advertising. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, the big turning point was uh, the second semester of my freshman year, I was taking an intro to anthropology course. And my professor, Chloe, um, she had become my mentor pretty much. So it was the fourth, um, it was the fourth, uh, class and it was, the lesson was all about gender. And I was like, oh, well, this is very interesting as someone who has spent a lifetime thinking about gender. Um, this is gonna be great. And so after the whole class, I like, that was, that was, that was the start of like a really crazy expanding of my brain. I had never known that there were uh, that genders were anything other than what they are in America, in other cultures. And so I learned about, um, you know, Native yeah, American. You, like, you just don't learn about that stuff when you're younger, right? You just don't learn about it at school. Yeah. And so like learning about like Native American two, uh, well, was it two spirits? I think it was. Um, it was like trans folk were thought to have the spirits of both men and women and looked to as leaders of, of their tribes which is so fascinating. Like leaders are like judges, like uh, like doctors, like people who can help everybody because they can understand everybody. Like it was, what a, what a cool way to celebrate and like, you know, uh, accept trans people instead of shunning them and ostracizing them. Like that's so cool that mm. other cultures have places for trans folk or non-binary folk um, is that you know, in, in Thailand, I think they were called, uh, like Katoi and, and there's like, uh, in India, there's, uh, like a certain kind of third gender that's like Hijras. And so it was so cool to learn just for this one, two hour course 
So I was like, I was feeling very emotional. And so I went to her office and I was like, hey, you do have a minute? She's like, yeah, sure. I was like, okay, I'm trans. And she's like, whoa, let's talk about this. And so from then on, I would see her after every single uh, class and we would talk for a few hours, just sharing details about each other's lives, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And she helped me a lot. She was a very, very smart human. And I think a big turning point for why I started studying sociology was entirely her, but it was also a big turning point as to why I do what I do now is she's like, what do you want to do with your life? I was like, I have no idea. My parents say I should just do the thing that makes money. She's like, you're going to work really, really, really hard your whole life, no matter what you do. You might as well work hard in something you like to do and, and, and enjoy your life, enjoy every facet of your life. I was like, no, you're right. And so that encouraged me to a start double majoring in sociology because it was really interesting to me, you know, interpersonal connections and relationships. But then also um, it got me to start volunteering in, you know, what would become esports. Uh, I was playing a lot of Hearthstone at the time and I was, I had played in a tournament. I had played in an online tournament and they had a little, little like 30 viewer stream where they would um, do coverage for the top eight players in the tournament and they were looking for volunteers. And so after, after I was kind of motivated to, you know, go out and try to do the thing I want to do, I started volunteering. And so I started volunteering with production and then I started shoutcasting and then I started admitting the tournament and then I became a team manager for that team, you know, that had some players. And that would slowly evolve from, you know, from my freshman year, from when I was as early as like 17, 18 years old, um, I would just take on everything that I could because I became so motivated to do this. It wasn't with the goal of turning it into some grand profession or career. It was, like she said, I was just doing the thing I loved, and so the work came really naturally. And so I just got, I, I formed the competitive gaming club at, I was, I was the founder of that at my college. I started running local tournaments. I ended up getting contracted by Microsoft to run some local tournaments at their flagship store in New York. Uh, I was actually part of the original pitch for like the first round of investors ever in Microsoft Esports, which is funny how big that's gone today. And that I was I was actually the MC for that. We we did like a display of Rocket League and and just to show how hype things can be to you know some of these bigwig investors. It was really cool, cool thing to be a part of. But I had spent the years, it, you know that meme that it's like oh, you need four years of experience out of college. It's like, how am I supposed to do that if I just am trying to start working now? That was somehow <laughs> me. Uh, I had already built up so much experience parallel to um, my schooling. And I think a lot of it, right. I, th I, think, I think I was so motivated because I was just looking to make my life as good as it can be. And so I, I ran a ton of tournaments. I started running Hearthstone tournaments around the country. I was getting hired by... Um, organizations like Geico and Microsoft and to do stuff for, for PACs and for South by Southwest. And eventually, after my junior year, I got offered a full-time job as a tournament organizer uh, for a tournament platform startup. And so somehow, you know, that advice of just do the thing you love because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna put a lot of work in anyway, just put the work in something you love. Somehow that had gone by in, in a flash and it's three years later and I'm getting hired before I even finish college to kind of get my ticket out of there, like ticket out of my parents' house so and out of New Jersey. Bloody, if you don't mind, I really want to explore this part a little bit because 
I, I feel like it's very easy nowadays to give advice. I remember you appeared on Magic FM and you guys were talking about advice for streamers and how like it's more about perspectives and anything. So I know it's on the one hand, it's easy to say, you know, just follow your dream or follow your passion. But I feel like listening to your story now, I feel like you're kind of underselling the difficulty. It's like, that was not easy to do, right? I mean, it's not like anyone can just start doing these things that you just did when you were 17 or 18. So if you were to kind of look back at that point in time, were there certain attributes or qualities or ways that you looked at doing the work that really helped you succeed? Unfortunately, it wasn't healthy. Uh, I think I think we live in such a... Oh, so it's just really pushing yourself, right? Yeah, I think we live in such a, such a you know, what, what's... What's the word in the kind of world we live in? Then it's just like everything is very fast moving and everything is really intense. Um, it's, I just, I just, I don't know. I incorporated it with my life. I don't think it's that it was unhealthy. It was that I did a risky move and inadvertently blurred the lines between my life and my work. And that, you know, that could be done. You know, being emotionally invested in something isn't inherently unhealthy, but it opens you up to a lot of uh, hardship and just emotional harm. And so I think I had just, I had started investing myself in in tournament organizing and in volunteering so much so that I really cared. Like I, I became so emotionally drawn to the things that I was doing and the job that I was doing. And it wasn't just like, it, it was never about making money. It was never about it being a full-time living. Until it hit me that I was getting paid a salary to do this, it was never about it. And so I was truly just following my passions. And that's and while advice is really difficult to give because we all have so many different perspectives and life scenarios, like my biggest advice is follow your passions. Do something that comes naturally to you. Um, if, if, there's, if there's a market for it, then chances are the, mo the most passionate people out there might be able to get something done with it. And I think I just happen to really love running tournaments and organizing events uh, more than anyone I could think of. And in no way am I saying that I was the best at what I was doing. I was really solid. I was, and like, I can't, there's no way I was the best tournament organizer. But I was among the most passionate, and I think that's what many people saw about me. And so a lot of my budding career was... Uh, you know, older folk taking chances on this on this small child um, who had somehow just gained all the skills to do this thing, and they didn't they didn't take me on. Like I can see before, I was like, oh well, I did all this volunteering. I don't think they took me on because of my experience. I think they took me on because of my passion, and they understood that experience is something that you can grow and and something that you can build. Um, passion is, is not necessarily that straightforward. And so, yeah, I think my biggest advice is, is, is go down the route you're mo most passionate in. Again, you're gonna, you're gonna work really hard your whole life doing something. It might as well be something you love. Yeah. And it sounds like there was a, an element of definite sacrifice, maybe in the terms that you describe, which is blurring the lines between your, your personal life and the projects you're in. So Maybe it's easier looking back, just just hearing you talk about it. Maybe it's easier to do that when you're younger. And then it's, I mean, I don't know. Can you imagine doing that now or you have different perspective now? Yeah, I mean, that's how I started streaming, right? I started streaming a year ago. And it was because it was something that I was so intensely passionate in. I only started playing Magic in February. Um, 
but I kind of loved everything I was doing and I, I made it work. I mean, that's being results oriented, of course, but you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I planned as much as I could and did as much work as I could, especially starting out um, just because I loved it and it didn't really feel like work. It just felt like something I was really enjoying. Um, and so... Tell me about that. How did you get into magic initially? Well, so it was pretty much... Well, how I got into magic is different from how I got into streaming. So I'll just start with streaming real quick. And basically, sure. the whole thing with that... Because basically, when I started streaming, I was streaming a different game. I was streaming uh, Artifacts. And unfortunately, that was a card game that flopped. And I swapped to magic because a few of my teammates were like, oh, you should totally play magic. Like uh, like the Asian Avenger and Muffin Pastry Pie. And then also my best friend, Shoop. Um, they were all just like, oh, I mean, Shoop's been telling me forever. And those two were like, well, we stream it. We have a lot of fun with it. Like we could help teach you and stuff like that. And we can raid you and whatever and um, help you feel more comfortable. And, and they just seemed really accommodating. I, I couldn't really tell what I wanted to do. And I sat down and played my first game of Magic. I think it was like Monday, February 17th, 2019. And um, let's see, was that the exact? No, it was it was uh, February 18th. Dang it. So close. Uh <laughs> It and was so, a momentous day in history. In the well, history it was. It was my first game of Magic. I played it on stream. A friend of mine taught me for a few hours. I was playing Mono Blue, and from then on, you know, hit the ground running. Didn't stop from there, Magic. Oh, wait. So you started streaming as soon as you learned the game. Like, you're just basically simultaneously doing it. Yeah. It was very wow. fun. <laughs> um, well, it was cool because I learned everything that I know on Magic on stream. So it wasn't like I was it wasn't like I was doing any rocky training montages when when the camera was off. It was like I sit down and people were able to watch me learn and I think that was a big appealing part of my stream at the start before I got good at magic as watching me get good at magic it was really fascinating. Oh yeah, I mean, sometimes the chat sometimes chat can be strange or funny, but sometimes it can be helpful too, right? So hopefully they taught you or give you some advice as you were going. Actually, I'm not gonna lie. I tried to do a really good job of not listening to anybody and just feeling the game out myself at first. Uh, I have a very big no backseating policy on my stream, mm. and I haven't enforced right. that as much until you know the summer came around. And so I definitely ask people for things. I think they're much more helpful on the technical end of how do these interactions work, and it's like why didn't this work? Like why couldn't I do this at this point? And less of the you know strategy side of like. Uh, like, why did this approach not pan out well for me? So they were definitely helpful in a lot of ways, but I think um, they're they're honestly much more my cheerleaders than anything. I'm just like, yeah, you got this, buddy. <laughs> and and then they would teach me interactions that I would fail at along the way. Yeah, but going back to how you started streaming in the first place, I remember you mentioned in the past that you were working somewhere and then you started streaming part-time and then took a sabbatical. So tell me a bit about that and how you got started as a streamer. So how I got started as a streamer, basically when I came out to the world as trans in August of 2018, uh, I had like an unprecedented amount of support. I made a two minute video just detailing as much as I could in those two minutes and it had gone viral. It got like a million views on Twitter and it was crazy. And I had so many people messaging me and commenting and, and liking obviously. And I had, I had an overwhelming amount of support, but I also picked up very quickly an overwhelming amount of admiration and appreciation from other people saying, you know, just this one action has helped me come out to this person or, or realize this about myself or feel more comfortable with myself. And I was like, wow, all that from one tweet. 
how can I help people more with this stuff? Because I was, you know, at this point I was very open with myself and I was very happy to be, I was, I was in a, obviously a very positive disposition because I was finally transitioning. Um, and I was like, how can I help other people? Pretty much. I think the thing that really resonated with me is someone sent me a message that looked really, really similar to a message that I sent to content creator years and years and years ago. when I was in a very dark point in my life. Someone sent me, almost word for word that exact same message. Um, and I was like, holy shit, I am now that person. Uh, I wasn't even streaming or anything, but I was like, I have the power to be that person. I mean, I think the biggest thing I needed when I was a kid was an example of someone who was in my shoes who got out of the mud, who, who was able to walk through all the bad stuff and get to a good point in their lives. And unfortunately, um, you know, trans resources were very, very limited 10, 15 years ago. And content creators were, were very, very limited as well, like trans content creators, like on YouTube, when YouTube was first starting. And I think the big thing for me is that it was especially hard to find folks who got where they were without the support of their parents, like the emotional support of their parents. There was a lot of people and it almost felt like every time they're like, oh, my mom has been so helpful in this journey or my parents have been so helpful. And that's great for them. And I was very happy. But at the same time, I, I felt a little, I felt... Uh, like a little upset that there wasn't anyone who really related, who I could really relate to and be like, well, they, they went through the same kind of uh, bad stuff that I did. And so suddenly I realized I was becoming that person and I kind of grabbed onto that. I was like, wow, how can I do that for everybody? How can I spread this positivity and comfortability with as many people as I can? I want people to watch me and feel comfortable with themselves because of how I feel comfortable about myself and how I promote and try to make being comfortable with everybody and try to make, you know, being trans much more mainstream and try to make just being nice to each other much more mainstream. I think my, my stream isn't just I'm trans. It's not just I'm playing magic, but I think I'm generally a very nice human and I want to preach that to everybody in that we can all be nice to each other and we could all be happy with each other. And so that, that, that motivation was, was, that was very big, but the idea was very small. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, maybe I do YouTube videos, something. And I actually talked a lot with Rania. Uh, Crip is a very famous Hearthstone streamer and Rania is his wife. And we had worked together on some events in the past. And so she was giving me a lot of really good advice. And pretty much I was convinced I wanted to start streaming, you know, Artifact was coming out, so that was a cool wave that I could ride. I had worked a little with F2K in the past, and so I went to them and I pitched them. I was like, listen, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start streaming full time. I'm going to do these things. This is my motivation. This is why. Can you sign me as a streamer before my first stream? And they said yes, because of just how prepared I was with my pitch and, and the fact that they've worked with me in the past. and. Uh, you know, I, I was I was reliable back then, so they trusted me. And so I think I'm the only one I, I know who has joined a streaming team with promise of streaming without ever having done it before. <laughs> That's uh, unprecedented from what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then I worked stuff out with my job. Luckily, I was working with a startup who were very supportive of me at the time, and they knew why I wanted to do what I did. And so I worked out a contract that basically... Um, I was paid, you know, uh, quite a small fraction of my monthly income uh, as a contractor for them for the next six months. And at the end of the contract said, you know, if, if the stuff that you're doing hasn't worked out, then we will uh, open the opportunity to re-interview you and bring you back into the company as a full-time employee. So I had this 
I had this kind of clause built in, like this little cushion, like backup, and I've been saving up as much money as I could. It wasn't a lot, but it was it was enough to feel comfortable just throwing myself into this. And so that's what I did. Right off the bat, uh, I just started streaming full time. November 11th, I think was my first stream. Uh, no, November 14th, and then I think the 17th is when I really started. That was like the weekend. Um, and that, that, you know, it's all, it's all history from there. Pretty much. I started streaming, uh, my stream started growing a bunch. Unfortunately, artifacts kind of crashed and burned, but fun fact before artifacts collapsed, uh, I'm actually the first and only ever on the planet Twitch partner from artifacts. I was the first ever Twitch streamer to get partnered through artifacts. I feel like you should be in the Guinness book of records, (laughs) you know? Like that's gotta be a special achievement, I think. Yeah, it was. Um, that was. It was. It was really. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious, honestly, because everyone's like, "The game is dead," and then I would stream, and I would be the only one streaming the game to like a hundred viewers or something. But that was. That was still really that's cool probably, for the first few months of streaming. Yeah, that's probably more daily active players now than, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the actual game. But yeah. uh, I mean, your rise to partners seemed like it was just unprecedented as well. Like, how did you, I mean, it's, it's really hard to like look in the mirror sometimes and just go back and say like, yeah, I was successful because of this and that. But how would you look at that? Because I know there are people who are always still busting their butt to, to get to partner after such a long time like what what do you think made it work out well for you there uh it's always hard to say it's always difficult to try to look at any one particular factor of success and make that um the why or the how but i think i got a lot of help uh from other content creators i got a lot of different raids and hosts and that was really really awesome um, I got a lot of emotional support from content creators as well. I, I, I think raids and hosts are so good for budding streamers. I pretty much um, strategically positioned my stream to line up with other creators' streams of when they were ending. So I would, I, I, I like spent a bunch of days figuring out what the time slots that work best for me are, and I just kind of threw myself mm-hmm. into them. Uh, to try to maximize, you know, viewership or catching people as someone logs off or someone rating me, etc. And so I did a lot of work in trying to, I would never ask for a raid. I don't think I'd ever ask for a host or a raid, but I did my best to try to make myself a good option uh, for for other content creators. And I think that was like a big pursuit of mine. And I I just tried my best being very personal with people, Um, you know, make people feel like this is a home for them. And that and and obviously this is because i want to not just out of the pursuit of growth but i think they got they kind of go hand in hand and something that people tend to enjoy is slowly start building a community of people instead of just um you know just just a group of folks watching someone it's a community of folks watching somebody and so i think that that kind of personability was what helped people stick around when the door got opened yeah it sounds like you were very strategic in terms of figuring that out right i and try my very not, best not con- yeah no that's that's awesome because i i think that is actually good perspective or advice even because there are a lot of people who want to do something they just say i'm going to start doing it yeah it's great that you quit your job and you're doing it but are you doing it in a smart way right it sounds like you did it in a smart way yeah i think the big thing for me was f2k specifically because um at the time there were a lot of there were a lot of you know other card gamers who would host me a bunch because 
not because I asked her anything, but because this was like a big pursuit of mine. I was, you know, quitting my job to do the thing and they liked my stream and they, they were happy to help out. And so that was really, really cool of them. I think, um, once in a while I would get a host from like Ali Straza, like she's awesome and she's a great friend of mine. That was so sweet of her. Um, and, and whether people did this because they were going out of their way to help me get my start or just because they felt like it and I was there, um, I had to at least make sure that, you know, I, I was, I was present for any of those motivations, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's so true, right? You never get to where you want to go in terms of your goal completely on your own. Like it's always the support of your community or your friends that helps you, right? Yeah, 100%. And and, and that should always be factored in. Uh, there's only so much you can do as a single person when the whole nature of the job revolves around everybody else. Obviously, you're very you plan ahead when it comes to your career. I mean, it's definitely a career when it comes to these sort of pursuits, but is there something about streaming that maybe surprised you about the nature of it once you started doing it uh, when you, in, in the early days? It's really easy to get lost in it. It's really easy to forsake your own health in the name of streaming, because when you sit down, you're filled with endorphins, you're, you're filled with, you know, all the happy vibes of streaming and playing games and you're really, you're really having a fun time with everybody. Um, and, and it's hard to look at it. It's, it's weird, right? Because jobs are usually neutral for people. And then the time outside of it is the good stuff. And streaming kind of flip flops your life in a way that you're not used to. And that, you know, the fun you're having is while you're streaming. And if you don't put any effort into it outside of it could get a little miserable. Uh, so especially when I first started for honestly the first six months I had forsaken my social life entirely I was not being as healthy uh, as far as the foods I was eating or or the sleep that I was getting uh, And I was just streaming, you know 200 hours a month and there's so much more work that goes on in the background outside of that and so I think I was being very neglectful of myself of my human um, Just just because streaming was so it, it just encaptured me and I, I was kind of blinded to all that stuff. I think what really helped is I had some friends move to town. I, I went to the St. Jude Play Live Summit last year and that was really, that, I mean, that was an eye-opening experience in many ways, but it was nice to, uh, just a side part of that was I met some people who live in Austin and just uh, starting to hang out with them and meeting more streamers and more people who understand what my life is like and just more friends helped me pull back on what I think is honestly the natural gut instinct of what happens when you start streaming and when your stream starts growing. It's, 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 it's hard to realize when you drop everything to do it and it's easy to just be sad about it. Um, but that, that's definitely, it. that was definitely the downside for me. Do you find that, I mean, in light of what you just said and also what you had gone through in recent months, do you, is it still a constant challenge to, to balance that or to manage it? It is a constant challenge to balance because it's way too easy to tip yourself into either side. And so in the pursuit of trying to be healthier and hanging out with my friends, I, I will sometimes uh, prioritize uh, just having like good quality human interaction over streaming. And not to say that stream is negative in any way, but uh, it, it's really difficult to figure out when the time and place is for this kind of stuff because a regular job will tell you your hours, but in a world where you're the one who set your own hours, you need to 
you need to practice a lot of organization and enforce a lot of discipline in when you're going to do what you want to do. Because there's always, you know, in a certain point in the social life, there's always going to be people to hang out with and you need to figure out how to prioritize all facets of your health. Because obviously once streaming is a job, like it, it impacts your health a lot. And if you start skipping stream more to hang out with your friends, then you might not be able to afford rent, that kind of stuff, you know? So I think mm -hmm. I'm getting better at balancing it. And obviously I had just recovered from surgery and being sick and the magic fest. And so I haven't been streaming all too much, but I'm excited for streaming in 2020, knowing what I know now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as you said, there's sort of two extremes. One is, you know, you're, you're too much, you're doing a lot of IRLs or real life stuff, social interactions. But on the other hand, you can't neglect your stream so much to the point that um, you're not maintaining your your standing. Well, actually, I can't I can't speak for you. I mean, is that is that something that you feel like some sort of anxiety, like I need to or pressure to be like I need to stream a certain amount of hours in a month or something like that? I think every streamer feels that pressure, especially if that's your full time well being. I think it's. You know, statistically obvious that when people take time off, their viewer count drops and, you know, their sub count can drop and whatnot. And so it's scary. It's very mm -hmm. scary because streaming is a very emotional process. And seeing these, like, very objective facts about this emotional process makes it feel really easy like you're going backwards if you're taking too much time for yourself. I think it's really important to keep in mind that no one is ever going backwards. You're going forwards. I like to think of... I like to think of stream, again, I don't know, I think because I was a personal trainer for so long, I think I, I link things back to the human body a lot, but uh, building a community is a lot like muscle memory. And so you can work out a lot and get really uh, in shape, you know, get your muscles real big or get your viewer count real big. And if you take a bunch of time off, you're going to shrink as, as a human or, or you know, as a, as a stream, but you still set up you know, you, you still set up so much in your community and you've still done so much that similar to someone who's getting back into shape, it will be easier to do it the second time around uh, because you have so much of the framework established already. And obviously there's extremes on so many ends of that, but I do find, at least now, I, I, I have a lot more comfort in, uh, you know, I did take a bunch of time off and my viewer count is a lot lower, but I think I built up so much of a fundamental community that I'm not worrying about the numbers as much because I still feel good about my community. I still feel happy about, you know, my chat activity and uh, just interaction with everybody. And I understand that uh, from an objective standpoint, uh, streaming can be very input output. And I like to tell myself, you know, don't worry about uh, the potential immediate negative repercussions of taking time off because, you know, you had to, you got surgery. This is a thing you did for yourself. And just just understand that as long as you stay um, kind of disciplined and organized, you will kind of get to the point where you would like to be again or get to a point where you're more happy with numbers, etc. So it's, it's, it's definitely really scary and it's really hard to have a positive outlook on it, you know. Despite rationalizing this stuff, I'm still scared a lot uh, of, you know, all the time off that I've taken. And I think a lot of people won't take care of themselves out of fear. And I have definitely been a person on that list. Yeah, it's one of those things where, because there's always, everything has an intellectual level to it, but there's also that emotional level. And often, or almost always, it's always that emotional part that grabs us, right? It doesn't matter what our brain tells us, but our, our primordial or primal 
instinct is to do something or to not do something right yeah my recommendation is don't look at your stats compared to other people looking at your stats is fine and if you're trying to understand trends and whatnot that's another thing but it's really unfair to compare yourself to anybody else you can try to observe how other people grow their streams and what they do with their communities but everything works differently and i think uh a big source of festering self-disappointment is watching you fall and someone else rise and that's what happens to a lot of streamers because there's always going to be people who are streaming more than you there's always going to be people who are going faster than you and um you're never you know it's it's never going to be healthy to compare that kind of stuff because everyone's got a different scenario yeah i think it's a really good perspective and it's a healthy one because even if you take magic gameplay as an analogy right why do why do you even play magic because like lsv and these these hall of famers exist right they're always going to be better than us so but it doesn't mean that we can't try to improve our ourselves right and just just really try to do that yeah yeah i'm, I'm definitely just gonna be the best magic player i can be uh, independent of other folks you know however that ends up that ends up and however good i end up getting that's how good i end up getting but i think um and I have, a, I, have a, I have a really keen interest in sports psychology and approaching efforts in a healthy way and understanding that the payoff has to be greeted with a healthy mindset or else it's not worth the effort you're putting in. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's a bit too big of a statement, but I'm, I'm really into just kind of approaching my personal competitive efforts or, or work efforts, like streaming efforts from a healthy and understanding standpoint that's that's really good because chances are there's somebody listening to this that is actually looking up to you right like both as a potential role model or influential figure but also maybe as a streamer because that person may be like how come my numbers are not as good as bloodies like what is she doing like she's so good why why does she have so many viewers right and then i'm i'm really glad that you're coming out and saying this because it's the perspective that that we need in life right there's always going to be someone better than you and there's always going to be someone that that's the other thing is like i think people have a fundamental understanding that there's always going to be someone better than you but it's harder for them to understand that there's always going to be someone who improves faster than you despite whatever level of energy you pour into it versus what they pour into it. And so comparing ourselves to other humans is tough and unfair to ourselves. And it's just, it's something that we do. I mean, our whole perspective on, on social interactions are based around what other people think. And so it's just inside ourselves to default to that. I, my biggest piece of advice is, is try to, try to, try to get that out of your system and try to be more okay with being your own, your individual at your pace and, you know, being upset with yourself for not doing a certain thing is fine, but like you really need to judge yourself on your own scale and nobody else's. So bloody on the horizon this year, like 2020, what are some things that you're looking to do uh, in terms of potentially branching out or some new projects? Well, I'm going to be playing in the Pro Tour or the Players Tour for the first time ever, which is cool. Um, yeah, right on. <laughs> so look forward to Paper Magic Bloody. <laughs> I'll be going to a bunch of Dream Hacks, so playing in, the, in those tournaments too. So th this might be the year of competitive Bloody. Um, you know, there might be a little, there might be a little commentary uh, or coverage on the horizon. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if that's an avenue I end up uh, pursuing, uh, or if that's something that ends up working out. And 
I think I, I think I'm very go with the flow. I don't like setting benchmarks or stats for myself to try to hit, uh, like those kinds of goals. I remember I did an AMA a while ago and alias another streamer and just an excellent content creator overall asked me, what are your goals for 2020? Because it was right as the year was about to begin. And it was, it was really difficult for me to answer, but all my answers were very kind of abstract and free flowing in that it's hard for me to think of like, uh, it's, 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 it's really hard for me to think of, you know, what's bloody going to do in 2020, because honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do last year at the start of last year in the middle or the end. So I, I just want to go with the flow. I think as far as projects go, engaging in competitive magic, um, I am going to be launching a Patreon soon because a lot of people are asking me for coaching. And so I'm just going to streamline that process. Also, people are asking me for a custom token and that's, you know, I'd be happy to <laughs> mail those out to people in yeah, excess. Yeah. Uh, and then I do have a little bit of a pet project where I'm, I'm, it's just, it's, it's, it's in the works and it's totally just a thing that I want to do for me and just to share with other people, not something that I want to do with the intent of it blowing up or anything, but I want to do bad movie reviews. Like for example, uh, the live action Avatar, the last airbender movie killed me. It was so bad, and I have so many things to say about it all the time. And I think, you know, I think by nature I'm a very, like, I'm a very kind and kind-promoting person. Not only do I try to be nice to people, but I'm always making sure that people around me try to do the same and understand that that's what we all want. And so it's hard to picture me just ranting about bad content. Um, but mm -hmm. I am from New Jersey, and that is kind of how we express endearment towards each other. Uh, by nature is just yelling at each other and saying mean things. So uh, there, there's definitely there's definitely a piece of my a piece of my character that I have to make sure doesn't come out too much on stream. I'm getting a bit more comfortable making fun of things once in a while. I you know I never mean to be mean, but it's kind of just a gut instinct. But I think that'll be a good place to channel my um my ranting. <laughs> and I'm just gonna sit there and yell at movies, yell at bad movies, and. You'll see a different side of bloody, but that's that's entirely a pet project. Just because so many people are like, "Oh my god, that'd be hilarious," and I'm like, "You know what? I think that'd be hilarious too." I'm just so I might just do that as a one-off video and see how it goes. You know, if a, if a bunch of people really like it and they want to watch more of it, then sure, maybe I'll do more of it. But otherwise, that's like a, I want to be able to give myself a pet project. Uh, I feel like I've mm -hmm. forsaken my hobbies in the name of my work, and if I'm not gonna have anything outside of streaming. Uh, that I really want to pour energy into, I, I might as well, or outside of content creation, I might as well do something inside that realm for me. Yeah, I think I think it's important to not be too self-serious about life or yourself, right? It's just, if you want to do something, maybe just, just go for it. I feel like there's a lot of people have this fear too of, I need to be the person who's known for X, but maybe, maybe you can branch out and everybody has different facets to their personality, right? Yeah, I think it's healthier to let everybody else decide um, let everyone else make your legacy. You just, you just put in the effort and see how it goes. On that note, bloody, I wish you all the best for this year. I'm sure you will continue to do some really amazing things. And I look forward to seeing you dominate professional organized play magic this year. <laughs> I'll try my best and we'll see how it goes. I mean, you're rising pretty quickly. You're starting to to get the top eight and the in the PTQs, and you're doing all kinds of stuff. I, I think you're a quick learner. 
Yeah, I think I can. I think I could generally acknowledge that I'm. I've gotten pretty good at magic, but you know, being good at magic isn't always what wins your tournaments. And um, I think I'm just gonna go and play my best. And however it goes, it goes. I can't. I can't go into anything with expectations of certain placements. I can only go in expecting having high expectation of my efforts, if that makes sense. So uh, I, I'm really, I'm really excited to try my best and improve my processes, but whatever happens of the results, that's, you know, that's whatever happens. Hey, I mean, spoken like a true winner, that's my words, not yours. So <laughs> bloody, thank you so much for your time today and we'll see you around. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. To get more information about the show and to join the mailing list, please visit humansandmagic.com. And don't forget, the Humans and Magic book is now available on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. We'll see you next time.